All right, welcome back to the big program. 10 o'clock in the city of Champions. Uh, looking for a high of about 21 today. Uh, let's welcome in our next guest to Sports 1440. Uh, Seattle Times uh, beat writer for the Seattle Kraken, Jeff Baker, uh, joins us now. Uh, Jeff, welcome to the show. How are things going out on the West Coast? Well, it's starting to rain here, which shouldn't be any surprise. That's usually what happens in Seattle this time of year. But we've, we've had a gorgeous summer. It was hard to believe it was hockey season starting uh, last week. The temperature was it was sunny. It was uh, short sleeve weather. Uh, that was just a few days ago. But now we're back to normal here. Uh, and, and nice to have hockey back for sure. Same same scenario here. We're all fired up. Uh, Oilers uh, will be playing their second game of the preseason tonight after losing uh, last night to Winnipeg. But for Seattle, what? do the Kraken kind of do for an encore here after a very successful season last year? What do they do for an encore coming up? Well, they, they've set the bar very high for themselves. And, uh, you know, I don't think too many people expected them to come within a win of the conference final, but that's what they did. And, you know, the expectations are high. And, uh, you know, as we know in sports, sometimes when the bar is set high and there's expectations, it's the, those wins don't come as easily. So they're going to be up against it. Um, they've got a very tough schedule to start the year. Uh, seven of their first ten games are against playoff teams from last year, and the, the other three are on the road, and, and some of them are home openers for other teams. So, I mean, you know, they got to survive the month of October. November's not much easier for them. They get a lot of Pacific Division clashes coming up, including a pair against the Oilers. And so, uh, you know, they, they basically have to stay afloat mm-hmm. their, their first couple of months and get 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 stuff, uh, you know, Keep make sure the season doesn't slip away from them too quickly. And then, you know, if they're in good shape after that, they can they can start thinking about, uh, you know, taking a run at another playoff spot. But they're definitely it's definitely going to be a tight division this year. And there, there's a lot of speculation going on uh, about whether they've taken – they're poised to maybe take a step back mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, trying to work some youngsters onto the roster, guys like Shane Wright, Ty Cartier, Riker Evans. Um, you know, they have some guys they have to work into the roster. So, you know, there might be a bit of a step back before they can take a step forward this season. For sure. Uh, Jeff Baker, Seattle Times, is our guest uh, uh, on Sports 1440. Jeff, our uh, Tuesday co-host is none other than uh, Grant Fuhrer, who joins us every Tuesday. Um, not with us tomorrow. He's flying. I'm assuming that he's got to, to do some work with the uh, Coachella Valley uh, uh, birds with the uh, color commentary and doing things like that. But one of the guys that he's been talking about is Joey Decord and goal because he saw him a lot last year. Uh, can he push, you know, the incumbents here and maybe see a little more of Joey Decord with the big club this year? Absolutely. I think that might be uh, part of their intention. I, I think the job, frankly, I think the job, the backup job might be Joey Decord's to lose mm-hmm. uh, and, and not Chris Drieger's. Uh, Drieger's coming off an ACL injury. Uh, you know, we're not too sure what to expect. He hasn't played in the NHL in, uh, in about a uh, you know, Decord, they, when they signed him, they signed him to a, a one-way deal. And, uh, you know, he's making uh, just over a million dollars. Drieger's making three and a half. So, you know, when it comes to guys you might want to send down to the AHL on waivers to start the year, I, I'm not so sure Joey Decord is a guy you want to take a chance on. There might be a few NHL teams that would want to snatch him up uh, just based on his performance in the NHL when, when he was doing spot duty last season and then his, his performance uh, in leading the Firebirds. Uh, you know, with an overtime goal of the, the Calder Cup championship. And so, yeah. you know, if, when it comes to who you want to send down, I mean, Drieger might be a better candidate to send down at a $3.5 million salary. I don't know if there's going to be too many takers on that. You might want to stash him 
in the AHL for a while, let him work his way back in a professional goalie shape, and then you know start the court in the NHL. So we'll see. I mean, he does have that going for him, and, and I think right now it's probably a dead even heat between the two mm-hmm. um, starting camp, with the exception of what I just mentioned. That might put the court slightly in the lead. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Baker, Seattle Times, is uh, with us on Sports 1440. Uh, you touched on it in uh, one of your articles about uh, Matty Beneers and his contract situation comes up at the end of uh, this season, his entry-level deal. But where are they in terms of maybe possibly locking up uh, one of their superstars in the making and a big, big part of this franchise uh, moving forward? Where are they, uh, the Kraken, in locking this guy up? Well, the two camps have been talking about that. I mean, obviously, they've got to get a deal done at some point. I don't think they want to go to arbitration with him. In fact, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and you look at they've already come out at camp and said they're not going to name a captain this season. Uh, clearly, they're leaving the spot open so that Veneers can step up and take that job. But, I mean, it's tough. He, he had a very good first year. Calder, you know, he won the Calder Trophy. Um, but, but as I wrote, he won that trophy by about January or February. A lot of the competition dropped off the map. And, and, and then, you know, he got, he got blindsided by Tyler Myers, suffered a concussion, and, and you know, he, his play was okay after that. It wasn't quite the same level. So I think, you know, if you're the Kraken, it kind of behooves you to take a look at what you've got with Veneers going forward. You know, I think everybody assumes that he hasn't hit his ceiling, that he's, he's got a lot of room to grow. But, I mean, we've seen people assume that before with Calder winners, and it hasn't always worked out. And so, you know, I think they'd like to see just a little more from him this season, see where things are going to go. I think if they go in the direction they hope and that he keeps to grow and keeps to develop, I, I think they'll be ready to name him the team captain by next season. And, you know, if you're going to do that, you might as well lock him up long term. I, I don't know that a short-term bridge deal is really going to help the team in this situation, uh, especially if you think he's going to keep performing better. You'd like to try to lock him up longer, kind of knock off some of those uh, UFA years going forward so maybe looking at a five-year deal something like that or more six-year deal uh, i'm sure his camp would like a long-term deal but it, again it'll come down to price i i don't know that a two or three-year bridge deal is really the way to go with him though um i i, I just don't sense that happening yeah. especially if they're ready to name him captain any year yeah for sure he's the cornerstone of the franchise moving forward um uh well one player with a strong local tie kyler yamamoto uh the oilers decided to part ways with him sent him technically to Detroit uh, in the clean cost and deal, didn't sign. So now he signs with Seattle. What do you think his expectations uh, for the Kraken would be? Well, right now he's got a shot at making their fourth line. And, you know, who would have predicted that for him about mm-hmm. six years ago? Um, you know, here in Washington is the highest, uh, second highest draft pick ever from the state of Washington. Um and so, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's uh, right now there's an opening on that fourth line. They cleared a lot of the fourth line away. They brought him in on a one-year deal ostensibly to be a placeholder for, you know, Shane Wright or Ty Karchi, any one of the two, because you, you, you could bounce right up in, uh, between center and wing if you had to. Um, I, I, think, I think they have a little bit higher hopes for him. They'd like to see some goal production. I, I don't know that they're ready to break all their youngsters in right away, maybe one of them. Uh, so, so there should be a spot for Yamamoto. Um, you know, they need him to hit double digits in goals. Uh, they, they gave up, they allowed a lot of their fourth line free agent uh, goal scorers to walk away untouched this offseason to clear that room that I mentioned, which is part of the step back they might have to take. I mean, they lost a lot of goal production on that fourth line. It was one of, it's probably the best fourth line in hockey. And so, you know, somebody has to replace what Daniel Sprong was doing, what Morgan Geeky was doing, Ryan Donato, those kind of guys. And, and I think they, they think, I mean, Yamamoto's not going to be 20. He's only got to turn 25 next month. And so 
yeah, you know, it's not like you can completely write off his career, but I think it's a big season for him. He's got to show that, you know, he's still got upside to his game and that he hasn't peaked already. Um, so I think this is a very big training camp for him. And I think right, right away, right off the bat, he has to make the team. Um, at 1.5 million, though, I, I think mm-hmm. the expect him to make the team, and uh, we'll, we'll just have to see. I think they're looking at perhaps slightly better upside than what you think you're getting with Yamamoto. He, he was coming off injury from last year, so I think they're hoping he has a bit of a bounce back, and you know maybe they'll look for more down the road if he can produce. Jeff Baker, Seattle Times uh, beat writer for the Kraken, is our guest on the Kevin Carey Show, Sports 1440. Uh, you've mentioned uh, Ty Karche a couple of times. We saw him come up in the playoffs did a pretty good job actually uh how big of a step can he make this year well i mean <laughs> the, the the uh it's all there waiting for him mm-hmm. i think the kraken would like to keep him out of training camps frankly um i, I think of the three young prospects i mentioned him shane wright and, and Riker evans I think he has the best chance of making the team out of camp he's got the size he's got the physical um, the physical style to his game that works at the NHL level. We saw it in the playoffs last year. It wasn't just the big goals he scored. He had three pretty big goals for them in, in the playoffs in a little more than a round of action. And uh, But it, it was the stuff he was doing away from the puck, uh, the physical play he, he was exerting away from the puck that showed he wasn't backing down at people. He was laying people out <laughs> in open ice when he had a chance to. He did it a couple of times in the playoffs. And, and I think if they see more of that from him this year, it's going to be hard to keep him off the roster. Uh, He's just got, I don't know how he went undrafted, but somehow he did. And, uh, you know, they, they think they've stumbled onto uh, a really good discovery here with this guy. Uh, rookie of the year in the AHL last year. Um, I think if he shows something this preseason, I don't know how much more he has to prove in the AHL. I think they could keep him out of camp. Mm-hmm. And where where is Shane Wright in the mix here? Such a high draft pick. Uh, where does he figure in in all this cracking equation? Well, if there wasn't news that he was going to give them uh, that, that he was going to get an exemption to play in the AHL this year, I think you know he'd have a very strong shot of making the team out of camp. Uh, I know they don't want to send him back to junior. They have been told that you know if they have to send him back to the AHL, he will be granted an exemption. They've kind of got a gentleman's agreement on that, and so uh, right now they know that you know they're, they're really going to take a look at him and see is he ready or does he need another month or two in the AHL just to get his game up to game speed. I mean, he's not, he's waiver exempt, so that's not an issue. You, you can send him back and forth. And, uh, and, and so they might want to use, avail themselves of that option uh, if they can. But if he goes out and dazzles a camp mm-hmm. and makes it a, you know, an impossible decision, decision, sure, they'll keep him. I, I don't think, though, that he's a front runner to make the team the way somebody like Karche would be at this point, just because he doesn't have the full season of pro experience behind him that Karche does. He doesn't have the playoff experience that Cartier does. And, uh, you know, he hasn't really shown himself at the NHL level yet, so he still has to do that. Yeah. How, how would you rate the, the prospect pool for the Kraken coming up? Some high draft picks again and uh, made some decent selections. Uh, as a whole, how would you rate the pool coming up? I think they've done an okay job. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's a blue chip uh, prospect bin by, by any stretch, but I think they've made some safe, secure choices. And they've also made some some off the you know uh, off the board choices. Uh, somebody like Riker Evans, I think, is panning out extremely well for them. If you remember, and I know you guys followed him very closely in Alberta, obviously, um, it, it's 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 a guy that nobody thought would be taken before the fourth round, and, and they took him in the second round, and he's done nothing but prove them right. He's actually grown a little bit taller. Uh, that was always a knock on him. He's going to be too small to play in the NHL. He's not going to be too small. Um, I think that's looking very good for him as, as a bit of an off-the-board pick. Um, they've also got some guys like Ryan Winterden who've been 
you know, slowly working their way up uh, through injury and things like that. Winterden was once a pretty highly coveted prospect, and, and the injuries took their toll on his draft stock. But, you know, they used a third-round pick on him, uh, and, and I, I think they're they're very happy with how he's developing. So he's a guy to look at. And then you got Jagger Ferkus, of course, mm-hmm. another Alberta kid who's, uh, you know, done nothing but, but make them look good. He's going to play pro this year, so we'll see how he looks in the AHL. He's still got that shot. And, uh, you know, he's another guy that they kind of, you know, a lot of people were on Perkis, but there were some other doubts just because of his size and, and how he'd hold up. So far, he's been holding up okay, but he's going to get a big test in a, in a full pro season this year. So we'll have to see what happens with that. The other the other picks, Beneers worked out okay, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they got Shane Wright. We'll have to see how he does now that that junior odyssey is over with. And uh, he doesn't have to go back to junior anymore. And then, you know, then you got Edward uh, Chalet that they took this year, who's you know, didn't do so well in his first pro season overseas um, last year. But, uh, you know, he's a young kid. He's got the size. He's got the tools. They just need him to get his head in the game uh, for 60 minutes and, and, and see how he plays. So he's going to go play junior this year, and he'll start acclimating to the North American game. He could be in the NHL in a couple of years. So, hmm. uh, you know, they do have some prospects working their way up, but they, they started from scratch, so it's going to take time. Yeah, Raker Evans, uh, you mentioned uh, him. Uh, Grant Fuhr talked uh, rave reviews about uh, Raker Evans uh, last year with uh, Coachella. Just sort of, it's kind of a smaller defenseman. As you said, he's kind of filled out now, but uh, we'll see where he goes. What kind of job do you think uh, Dave Haxtell uh, did last year, and what kind of job do you think he'll do moving forward? I think he, uh, he he did an outstanding job last year with what he had to work with. I mean, look, let's face it, he came into the season last year and one of one of the uh, most likely coaches to be fired. I think him and Lindy Ruff were like running one, two for a while. The two, uh, the two old Alberta guys from the same town uh, about to get fired on the same day. And now they, they go and they compete for coach of the year together. I mean, that's hockey, right? That's pro sports. So I, I think he turned it around. He stepped up when he had to. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he, he, he walked the walk. And the, the thing with Hackstall, he gets a rap around the game as being uh, dry as paint, as being a very boring personality, very uh, not much to say. He's actually a pretty funny guy when you get mm-hmm. to know him. I'm sure you guys have, have yeah. talked to him quite a bit. Um, and, and I think his even, but I would call it, a, it's a cliche, but he's got an even keel personality. And I think that worked really well with the team. He didn't let the team get too high on itself when they won seven road games in a row. And uh, he didn't let the team get too down on itself when, when it was kind of stumbling its way into the postseason back last March uh, and then early April. And, and you know, he, he got them, he got them to, to squeeze the most out of his system that he could. I, I think his system is an exhausting one to play. Um, it demands skate, skate, skate all the yeah. time. And not everybody's capable of that. Some guys like to take a day off or two. And, and when you're doing that game after game after game, it, you, you do take a game off every now and then because you're exhausted. I think he has to, you know, they've tweaked the personnel a little bit this season. I, I think they need to get a group that can, can play mm-hmm. his style uh, the way they did um, when they won their playoff games, but get them to play it consistently. Every single night. If you notice last year in the playoffs, by the time they were playing Dallas in the second round, they were looking great one game and getting absolutely cream the next game. So they have to be a little more, uh, a little more consistent with how they play that and, and not be worn down as much by the fatigue of the system. But other than that, mm-hmm. I mean, his systems work. So his system worked. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he took a, you know, an okay team and got him to within a game of the conference final. You can't knock that. Exactly. Uh, one last one for Jeff Baker. He penned a book, Rising from the Deep. It's available on Amazon. How much fun was it to kind of put this book together? Well, I don't know if uh, putting the book together was fun, but I kind of lived it for uh, for almost a decade uh, covering the events that, that led to mm-hmm. the, 
first the Supersonics leaving and then uh, them having to find an arena, get through all kinds of political bureaucracy here in Seattle, which will drive you absolutely insane if you let it. And um, and, and also battle, there were, there were rival arena groups that were fighting some pretty nasty PR battles, battles against each other. Uh, it, it, it was a, an interesting. It was an interesting time to watch the process of getting a new arena designed. And basically, they built a billion-dollar arena underneath the same roof, so it's the same as a new arena. Uh, and they did it without using taxpayer money to build it, uh, which which is very unique in North American sports. And uh, I think it's one of the better arena deals in the history of North American sports. And uh, so it, it was great to be able to write about it afterwards because there was so much that went on beyond just hockey in getting the Kraken here. And I think the book tells a very good story about that. If you want to hear about how the Kraken did in their first season, probably not the book for you. First of all, they were terrible. There was, it wouldn't be much of a book. It'd be over within a chapter. And, and second of all, but, but I think the, the broader picture is, is very interesting. And, and it's actually a template for cities um, that uh, you know might be thinking about building a new arena and uh, using taxpayer funds to do it. They might want to read this book and have a a second go at it and a cough, cough. Some, some cities in Alberta might want to take a look at it. Well, appreciate your time. Uh, all kinds of fun. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate <laughs> your time. Thanks uh, for the update on the Kraken and look forward to these matchups with the Oilers this year. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times. When we come back, Pete Peters. So it's going to be like a farming segment. Pete's got his plot of land on the uh, northeast part of town here. And then uh, the Duke of Delburn's got his farm going down by Stetler. So uh, I, I might just leave for about 20 minutes. You and Pete can talk about raising whatever you guys raise and whatever you guys are ripping off on the crop. So that's uh, Pete Peters joins us uh, in a couple of minutes on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. All right, welcome back to the big program. Oilers on the ice uh, right now with... I guess half of their group or so, ballpark, uh, not quite, I guess, a little bit, maybe a third is a better uh, fraction. Uh, the group that's on the ice will probably be the group that is going to Winnipeg tonight, or not probably, will be. Um, you know, it's, the names are, we're, it's a road game in the preseason. Uh, you don't take all your, your big guns uh, till the very end of the preseason. You'll see maybe a few players that did play last night for the most part. You still have to dress NHL players uh, so you'll see a few guys tonight but uh, that game tonight six o'clock uh, in Winnipeg let's welcome in our next guest Pete Peters an old friend a dear friend uh, Pete welcome to sports 1440 how are things going on the north 40 there really well thank you thank you for having me on I never uh, we never took you away from the chores did we or, or what no no uh, just pulled over on the highway to talk to you safely <laughs> <laughs> well you know our producer the duke of delborn he's uh, his family farms down by stetler so what what exactly how long have you been kind of farming up there and where's where's the land and kind of give us a little rundown what goes on in the peters uh on the on the homestead there well we're in that in the mayo bonacord area north of the base and uh, yeah we're kind of gearing down now we got kind of about uh, two-thirds of our cows last year and basically got everything rented out now uh, my wife still has her alpacas she's got about 30 of those we yeah. shear them every spring and get the fiber off them and She's a knitaholic. She just loves working with the fiber. And then, uh, yeah, we just have enough 
cows around the yard to try to keep the, the grass down. So now we're just kind of buying our feed and stuff. But uh, yeah, basically that's it. We spend a lot of time out at the lake with the grandkids. Mm-hmm. Really enjoying that part of my life now. So uh, yeah, life's good. You were at uh, yesterday was a birthday party for one of the grandkids. What was that all about? <laughs> How'd that go? It went great. Yeah, we had a couple of grandkids come from Victoria. They had a lot of fun meeting the rest of the cousins. They got all tired out. And then, uh, yeah, they're growing up fast. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, for sure. Family's the best, big guy, isn't it? And uh, what, what, what do you love about farming? What do you love about farming? What do you get out of it at this point of your life? I mean, uh, just being kind of tuned into the land and things like that. Well, you know, I married a farm girl who was really into farming and then basically the city boy, you know, from the northeast zone there. And my dad, when he immigrated from Holland, he was a farmer. He he always had a second job on a potato farm. Um, so I used to ride his coattails and as long as I behaved, I could go with him. And, and then when I met my wife, you know, they had a, a big dairy, a big feedlot. They were in the grain. They were all around. The, at that time, it was the air base. It wasn't a land forces base. And her dad was very patient with me, and, yeah, I've been learning ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Pete Peters is our guest on the Kevin Carey Show. Uh, talking farming if you've got a text for pete send it uh, uh send it our way 1-833-401-1440 1-833-401-1440 um when you played your minor hockey in edmonton pete well how did how was it back then because it was in the 70s obviously uh what was that kind of like growing up in edmonton and and playing minor hockey you know in the i guess it would be the late 60s and early 70s for you yeah well i grew up at that time, uh, I think it was uh, Newton area, and uh, I played uh, a year of mites, and uh, yeah, we had some interesting players come out of that community. There was Wayne Babbage, Dave mm-hmm. Babbage, Rocky Saganek, myself, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, kind of came out of that community and ended up playing in the NHL. That's pretty freaky. And, uh, yeah, then I ended up going into the Knights of Columbus uh, for the rest of my minor hockey career. And, uh, yeah, the big thing back then was, you know, like it was double-A hockey. It wasn't triple-A, but double-A was the highest at that time. And, yeah, you know, I remember the Knights of Columbus Pats, all us young kids aspired to be Pats at that time. And, like, I'm trying to think of the guys that played on that yeah. team. Like, uh, there was John Devaney, there oh, yeah. was Kevin Primo. Uh, I'm not going to know yeah. if I say his name right. He was a goalie. I don't know if it was Poplowski. Or yeah. Well, John John Devaney ended up playing on the national team in 1980 for Canada's team in uh, Lake Placid. So yeah, you know. Yeah. So uh, yeah, a lot of the at that time, 
the Oil Kings weren't that open to taking yeah. Knights of Columbus players for some reason, and the only player I ever remember them taking was Larry Hendrick, the goalie, yeah. and him and Dougie Sotart ended up taking them to the Memorial Cup that year in Quebec. And uh, other than that, when you were playing in Knights of Columbus, Father Bauer tried to get us into schools, uh, Ivy League schools down in the mm -hmm. States. And I wasn't that great of a student, so <laughs> that really wasn't an option for me. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when after you, you, you came out of Edmonton, you went and played in Medicine Hat and then off to the pro career, drafted by Philadelphia. So you played uh, for the Flyers and then the Bruins and the Capitals. Um, and you had to play against some high-flying Edmonton Oilers teams. And uh, I'm sure you remember a lot of those nights quite well. So what was it like playing against the Oilers in the early 80s when they had that high-flying offense? Well, you know, back then it was an equal schedule, right? You basically played everybody four times. And, uh, you know... <laughs> I guess a lot of those Oilers owe me money for making them famous, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair assessment, isn't it? Oh, my God. I, I bet you haven't seen any of those checks, though, have you, Pete? No, it was funny that you mentioned that because uh, when I was coaching at Anaheim, we ended up going to Finland, and I ran into Yari Curry in the hotel and uh, he was sitting with Tamo Solani, and I, I went up to Yuri, and I didn't even miss a beat. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, he, he, we kind of, we knew each other a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. to say hi. I just didn't know Yuri personally. And I went right up to him, and I said, you know, you still owe me money. And he <laughs> looked at me like, what are you talking about? And he says, yeah, you owe me money for making you guys famous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. They, they were something, man. Like, oh, I remember Glenn Anderson playing with him in the 84 Canada Cup. Mm -hmm. and so, you know, I wouldn't say I knew Glenn well, but I really ended up liking the guy. He was a really personable gentleman. And, and then I remember when I was in Washington, he steamrolled me one night. <laughs> <laughs> and I just says, Glenn, you can't do that to me anymore. I says, oh, yeah. If you do that to me, I says, I'm going to have to hit you with my stick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he just started laughing. But, you know, it, it was part of the game. And that's, you know, was part of Glenn's game was trying to get you all out of sorts. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, uh, you know, and then uh, getting the coach with, you know, Mac and uh, Simmer yeah. and, yeah. and uh, yeah, Charlie Huddy and then, you know, Billy Morris because Billy and Mr. Messier coached me in, uh, in Midgets oh. in the Knights of Columbus or Bantams, pardon me, Bantams. Well, maybe you'll uh, hear uh, a name here. Uh, this comes in from... Um well, first, Mark, hey, nice to hear Pete on your show. He used to play hockey at the Winterburn Parkland Arena. It was a real nice that he would be there goaltending. That comes from Mark. This comes from Dale. Uh, wondering if Pete remembers an old coach from Newton named Fred Glowitzki. 
Um, yes. Do you, you do? Absolutely. Yeah, there you go. And then uh, Dale asks, uh, could you ask Pete how Bernie Perrant was as a goalie coach? Oh. <laughs> well, you know, Bernie is such a personable individual. Yeah. He, he is one of the premier pers- personalities. And uh, as far as Bernie helping me out, uh, was pretty non-existent. The guy that helped me out the most in Philly was Jacques Claude. Oh, and cool. And then uh, when I went to Boston, Jerry Cheevers was my head coach. And then he helped me out a lot with the head game. And then I ended up in Washington, and then I was really fortunate again. Like, they had a goalie coach there. His name was Warren Strelo. He has since passed. An amazing man. He coached Jimmy Craig at, in uh, the Olympics when the U.S. team won the Olympics. And boy, he gave me some huge missing parts. Mm-hmm. And I wish I would have had him earlier in my career because he taught me a lot about, you know, forward, backward, lateral, diagonal motion in the crease. And I realized when I ran into him when I went in the toilet all the time. <laughs> That's what I kind of lost, yeah. and it's a mechanic, but I never knew there was really mechanics to it, and it can be, it's a taught thing, and it's a learned thing, so mm-hmm. uh, it's so important to understand that, because then you're not afraid to stand in into a play and dare them to pass it, because you can track it any which way. Uh, our guest is uh, Pete Peters on the Kevin Carey Show, Sports 1440. Um, I think a lot of people forget that you won the Vesna Trophy, Pete, back in 82-83. Uh, um, you had a phenomenal season in Boston. The Bruins won 50 games that year, and your head coach was Jerry Cheevers. Uh, what was that year like in Boston uh, when you won the Vesna? Oh, man. I think that year... Like, you know, I always, I don't know, I, I always look at it as I had a, a personally, I think I had a, a, a great, quiet career. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that might sound to the listeners like a little bit arrogant, but, you know, I don't think it is. I, I, I ran into trouble at different times in my career as I alluded to earlier and it was because I had lost my forward, backward, lateral and diagonal motion and that's what Warren Strelo had taught Mm -hmm. me and I realized that you know if I would have known those things earlier I might have got traded because I was a jerk or whatever (laughs) but I wouldn't have got traded for poor play because every time I look back in, in my career when I had those slides that's what I was missing. And, um, you know, so when, when I was in Boston, I was on all cylinders. And I, I thought to myself, this must be how Lemieux and Gretzky and, you know, all the super great players must see the game because it was in slow motion that year. And, uh, you know... I, it, it happened to me like I think three or four times in the 13 years that I played where I actually saw the game like that yeah. you know, and I look back more at a 
so the consistency wasn't there for me whereas as I look at the great goalies you know like Rapier, Kasich, Plant, you name them they had it year in and year out and that's what made those guys great was they were superstars that brought it every year Pete Peters is our guest on the Kevin Carey Show, Sports 1440. So, Pete, you had some great teams. You played for some great teams in Philadelphia, great teams in Boston, and then great teams in Washington. Uh, You guys were so close to to maybe going all the way. Was there something that was just missing, or did you run into, like, other hot teams, or what was that kind of postseason story like for you? Well, yeah, the first year in Philly. (laughs) Islanders. Yeah. We, yeah, we went. We ended up playing the Islanders. That was their first cup. Yeah. And then uh, the sixth game was in the island. And, uh, yeah, there was a couple questionable calls in that game. <laughs> but you can, you can cry the blues, you know, <laughs> if you want. And, uh, anyways, we ended up tying the game up. And uh, we lost in overtime. That's the one Nystrom scored on. Mm-hmm. So I know what it feels like to lose. You know, I've, I've been close a couple times. Uh, yeah. We were close in Edmonton as a coach. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I got put in line one evening watching TV by my wife. And uh, she was always good at keeping me so I could fit through a door without having a fat head or whatever. (laughs) And we were watching uh, Pittsburgh uh, place the cup skating around the ice. And and we were watching it, eh? and I I said to my wife, Lori, I said, you know, man, I would have been nice to just win it once. (laughs) And she didn't miss a beat. She said, you're greedy. (laughs) And I said, what do you mean I'm greedy? And she says, do you remember what you said to me when we got married? And I'm like, uh-oh. And I said, yeah. I says, yeah, if, if we would make it to the NHL, that'd be one of the greatest things that ever happened to me in my life. And she says, and how many years did you play? And I said, 13. She says, you're greedy. She says. Oh, man. So she put it in perspective, you yeah. know, like not... Everybody's going to win a Stanley Cup. And, you know, that's your ultimate dream and goal. That's why, you know, when you you see these great players that have never won a Stanley Cup and and, and Mm -hmm. people try to diminish their greatness, it really annoys me because, you know, everything has to fall right, you know, to to win. You know, everybody wants to win nobody wants to lose and uh, so you know that, that that can be made frustrating you know watching yeah. people criticize athletes <laughs> you know? that's kind of what happens but uh, you know what Pete I always enjoy our conversations whenever I run into you we could sit and talk for hours and we probably could do the same here you're just a, a true gentleman and a great sportsman and an all around good guy thanks for coming on and taking some time with us and uh, um, I know you got to get back to the to the farm and get some chores done and, because uh, I mean it doesn't run by itself does it 
the wife pretty well runs it. She directs me. She directs me, and I listen. Oh, Pete. All right, Pete. Thanks for this. Uh, take care. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. All right. That's Pete Peters, a former NHLer. Uh, almost 500 games in the NHL. Won the Vesna in uh, 1982-83. Uh, a 2.36 goals against average for the Boston Bruins back then. Uh, that was tough because the you know the goals were going in the goals were going in offense uh, defense was optional a lot of the time uh 10:38 uh, when we will come back we'll wrap things up with the duke talk a little bit uh, uh football we got the uh, oilers uh, lines for tonight we'll let you know those for their game in winnipeg uh we'll Wrap things up on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440 right after the break. I thought, uh, Duke, you were going to jump in with Pete, talk a little farm in there. You're busy uh, doing some other stuff. I thought, wow, give the Duke a couple of the, uh, minutes off. But, I mean, here here was your, your question about Pete Peters, the farmer. He was right there for you. I would have had a lot more questions about uh, his time as a hockey player, yes. I think, than a farmer. But yeah. uh, it's funny to listen to him talk about, uh, you know, the dynamic with him and his wife out on the farm. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of listeners that can find a lot of relatability there, yep. um, especially if you marry into the farming situation. Um, <laughs> and it, it's funny, his wife's big on the alpacas thing, yes. and it just shears them and, and knits them up. That's a, that's a pretty unique one, especially around this neck of the woods. And he said, I think he has about 30 to 35 uh, still going, so... Keeps busy for sure. He mm-hmm. keeps very busy. And again, you, you mentioned he's a guy to come. If he came in the studio with a, a or to be honest, he would be probably pretty good with Grant Fear, just like Kelly Rudy was talking about the old days. Uh, once again, Grant Fear is our Tuesday guest, our Tuesday co-host. Pardon me, uh, not able to make it in tomorrow. Uh, he's flying, uh, probably I guess to maybe Seattle crack and training camp. He's probably checking things out uh, there. So. Uh, as we talked about at the top of the hour, whenever the Oilers or any other team goes on the road, you usually bring a AHL kind of lineup. Um, that's what will kind of happen tonight in Winnipeg. Um, basically, it will be like so. Uh, Adam Ernie, Brad Malone, Raphael Lavois, Holloway, McKay, Griffith, Stonehouse, Grube, Borgo, Petrov, Berglund, Tulio. So that's uh, what the forward line will look like. Uh, they might bring a 13th forward as well. Kulak and Cece, so a veteran presence there. Hoffenmeyer, DeHarnay, Deneen Wainer on the back, and then Picard and Rodrigue in goal. Once again, uh, every time, you know, early on in the preseason, you always take more of an AHL kind of uh, lineup. So that's what the Oilers will ice tonight. They lost last night 2-1 in a shootout in Winnipeg. Tonight, uh, Vancouver is here on Wednesday, and then two more games Later in the week to close things out, five games and seven nights, uh, Canucks and Flames at the end of the week. Oil Kings with a split on the home and home with Red Deer on the weekend. So pretty good start for the Oil Kings. Would have been nice to have that second win on uh, as, uh, you know, to, after the follow-up win on Friday in Red Deer. But um, NFL, Duke, do you want to kind of touch base with anything kind of catching your eye for tonight? Um, two games again. Uh, is that are they going to be two every Monday night or, or what's going on there? I don't believe every Monday night. I think as soon as uh, next week we're back to the one Monday nighter affair. I think it's kind of like a test run here um, for for the league and for ESPN to see if this two games a Monday night thing works. I'm not a huge fan of it. I in primetime games. I like there just to be one thing to focus on, and the fact that the two games they're not. It's not a true doubleheader. Mm-hmm. Like one just starts the hour after the next. I. 
if there's if there's a primetime game on, I just want to watch one game. I'm perfectly okay on Sunday and the the glut of the slate to have four different games on and red zone and all this stuff. But uh, primetime is exactly that, you know, all your attention on one game, the bright lights, um, everybody watching that team, that player, all at the same time. So I'm uh, I'm not a huge fan of it, but we'll uh, we'll see what they make of it moving forward here. Back to just one game a week. Yeah. Uh, after this, I don't mind it. Uh, I would maybe just like to see a little bit more of an overlap. Maybe another half an hour to an hour. Uh, if that first game isn't to your fancy, then you can go to the second one and take it from there. Uh, I think you're correct, and uh, I think a lot of our listeners are pretty happy that we had Pete Peters on. Uh, Dale, I'm sorry, I just missed a couple of these ones. Uh, uh, Kevin, could you ask Pete if he remembers the photo he took with Dr. J, Ron Jaworski, and Tug McGraw for Time Magazine's uh, Best in Sports? That comes from Dale, big fan. Um and then thank you so much for asking Pete about Fred Glowitzki. means a lot to me and my family. Fred and his son Lance helped fuel my passion for sports. And now I'm a regular uh, for the hockeywriters.com. And that comes from Dale. Uh, and you could hear Pete say, yeah, oh, I, I remember Fred Glowitzki for sure. Uh, sorry we couldn't get to this one. I just, just missed it. We just let Pete go. But you can rest assured we will talk about that the next time I discuss it with Pete. Um, Wardo, in the old... Edmonton Gardens. This comes from Wardo. In the old Edmonton Gardens, possibly early 70s, I was maybe eight at an Oil Kings game. Peek took a wicked slap shot to the face. He went down hard, but wasn't down for long. Um... And again, these just came in just a tad late for us to get to Pete. Uh, uh, Kevin asked Pete what it was like to share the net with Kenny Holland. Um... That would have been a good question for sure. And again, we'll probably get that on uh, a little bit uh, when we get talk to Pete again. So I believe that was with Kenny Holland in 1975. Medicine Hat Tigers. Um, Kenny Holland, yes. And Ken played just a tad more than Pete that season. 1975-76, Medicine Hat Tigers. Ken Holland, Pete Peters in goal. Man, oh man. Sorry, I missed that one. That would have been nice to ask uh, Pete about that one for sure. Uh, and he talked about those guys that played. Morris Lukowicz was on that team. A lot of guys. Uh, man, Pete, Pete, I mean, it's amazing when you hear the stories that these guys, and Pete always says, he, he always tells the story about, and he did mention it a little bit with the Oilers and how uh, that those guys owe him a check or two. Uh, Pete was in goal the night that Wayne Gretzky had the five goals, 50 and 39, but the fifth goal, as Pete is very quick to mention, that was an empty net goal. I was not in goal for that one. So uh, Pete always uh, mentions that. So, uh, And again, Duke, is, you're exactly right. Get him in studio here. I think he could sit for a couple of segments and talk uh, all things Oilers, all things NHL. I had a great, a wonderful career. And again, to win a Vesna Trophy back in the 80s when teams were just pumping the goals in and defense was optional, massive, massive accomplishment. NFL schedule tonight, the two games. Uh, but again, was there something on uh, in, in week three that besides the, the main stories, Duke, and I want to do a deep, uh, deeper dive uh, and uh, to mention the fact that a big injury again today, Mike Williams is out 
for the Chargers. So that is a. I mean, the Chargers are just getting pounded with injuries. How many? Well, who else is out there now? Well, Eckler. Eckler's Eckler. been uh, been hampered yep. here to start the season. Um, outside of that, they've been. Mo- it's just more so the NFL in general. It's just, this is already the, mm-hmm. the, the marquee name, um, fourth or fifth player that's going to be out for the season here. Uh, obviously, we've seen the Achilles, a couple different ACLs between Nick Chubb, Mike Williams, uh, J.K. Dobbins, also with an Achilles injury. So. Um, it, uh, yeah, it's it's disappointing to see because uh, you want the best players on the field mm-hmm. and for the Chargers and their fans, including our own Connor Halley, it's <laughs> it's disappointing because Mike Williams, a big part of that offense, he's their downfield threat and the Chargers had been, con- or fans had been concerned about them almost looking like they're becoming more of a, a check down type team and when you have a guy like Keenan Allen, that's fine. But you got big threats, uh, guys that can get jump balls like Mike Williams. It's um, disappointing to see, but they got a couple guys that I think might be able to step up and fill some role. Uh, first round pick, Quentin Johnston. Uh, Josh Palmer's been there a couple years and yeah. carved it a nice little role. So uh, it'll be a by committee approach, I think, to replace what Williams brings to the lineup. But hopefully the Chargers can uh, build off the momentum that they got yesterday in that win over the Vikings. And Keenan Allen had a monster game again yesterday. He threw a touchdown pass. Yes, to Mike threw. Williams. Yeah. yeah. Uh, through the touchdown pass, but had 215 receiving yards on 18 receptions. I mean... Not a bad day. That's a good day. 48 points if you're playing fantasy football in a PPR league, which most of us are. I think... Would you say full PPR is the most popular? I think it's the most popular. I know uh, Connor's not a fan of it. He prefers non-PPR even compared really? to a half PPR. He, in, in his words saying... Um, it, why should it's your job to catch the ball? You shouldn't get a point just for <laughs> catching the ball. It's about what you do with it. And and I mean, he has some validity to that point. I mean, like it's not like running backs get points just for getting handed the ball um, out of the backfield. They only get a point for catching it in, in PPR. So mm-hmm. and quarterbacks don't get points for attempting passes. Uh, some give for completing passes, but even that's a little bit more of an oddity in most leagues. It's it's about yardage and scoring and things like that. So uh, all the leagues I play in are full PPR, and I I appreciate it, especially when you got guys. Like uh, say an Austin or uh, an Austin Heckler, yes, mm-hmm. or, or a Keenan Allen, or, or whatever the case. Well, you're going to have a whole lot more coming up on uh, Fantasy Frenzy with former Rochep Tebird, Connor Halley. That's coming up at eleven o'clock. Uh, I'm sure a lot of questions. Uh, one uh, uh, note or uh, comment for me for a fantasy expert like yourself, Sam Laporta in Detroit. Everyone says stay away from rookie tight ends. Stay away from rookie tight ends. But so far, he is proving that that's that he's an exception to that rule. He's off to a pretty good start in Detroit. Yeah, Connor and I had both really been pumping his tires here the past couple weeks uh, in a lot of our questions, uh, including one from St. Albert Kevin, who just mm-hmm. texted us again here. One of his questions last week on the show was uh, Laporta or Hunter Henry. And, and I think Connor and I both agreed, like Sam Laporta is pretty much a, a must-start tight end right now. Mm-hmm. And that, that Lions offense is electric. They do got some weapons, uh, different options in the backfield. Of course, Amon Ray St. Brown, but... It looks like Jared Goff and Sam Laporta have a good relationship already and some good rapport, yeah. um, a good uh, security uh, blanket for him, whether it be a check down or things. So, yeah, yeah, rookie tight ends, like you said, normally a steer clear, but Laporta's bunking that trend. He's the first rookie tight end in NFL history with at least five receptions in each of his first three games. So that's massive. Uh, yesterday had a great game, eight catches, 84 yards, one touchdown. Uh, so his 18 receptions uh, this season surpassed Keith Jackson for the most receptions by a tight end in first their first three career games in uh, NFL history. So uh, off to a very, very good start there. 
Well, news and notes from this morning. What kind of caught your ear of uh, our guests? I think uh, Chris Joseph, again, had some great comments, uh, talked uh, the texts coming in, emails coming in. And then Pete Peters. I mean, this is a down-to-earth guy. Down-to-earth. Just old school, you know, old school. Yeah, that's the perfect description. Any any time we can get some former players on, a, a lot of these guys are just natural storytellers, and they have so many great stories to share. You know, whether it is uh, uh, Chris Joseph about his time in the mm-hmm. World Juniors and the famous brawl out there, or Punch Up and Pia Stani, yes. and, and and Pete, um, you know, so well traveled and played for some great teams. Uh, and then both of them coming back to, you know, make their homes back here in the mm-hmm. Edmonton area. Uh, they've got lots of stuff to share, and I'm looking forward to, you know, having them back on in the future and preferably in studio because that always gives it a little bit of a different feel yeah. and can can really get some good laughs going with the boys. Yeah. So a few Oilers playing back-to-back uh, tonight uh, in Winnipeg, uh, Holloway, Borgo, and DeHarnay uh, on the back-to-backs, uh, kind of an AHL-heavy roster, still a little bit of presence with Kulak and CC on the back end and Vinny DeHarnay as well. Uh, thanks to all our guests and co-hosts, Lori and Munzer, every Monday 9 to, or 7 to 9, pardon me, uh, former Olympic gold medalist. Uh, she joins us every Monday from 7 to 9. Arthur Staple from The Athletic covers the New York Rangers. Good insight. Uh, the Rangers coming up on a strong season. Uh, pick up where they hopefully will left off last year. Mark Spector on the mark for Booster Juice. Uh, joins us at 8 o'clock every day here on the Kevin Carey Show. Uh, and great comments from Chris Joseph. Um, former NHLer. Our headliner for Mr. Reuter was Chris Jones, Elks head coach and general manager. Cam Lewis uh, checked in with uh, Blue Jays Nation as the Blue Jays with a day off today play three games against the New York Yankees starting tomorrow, then three more against the Tampa Bay Rays to close out the regular season. Uh, Toronto two games up on uh, Houston in the American League wild card race. Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times uh, talked all things Seattle Kraken as the Kraken trying to kind of pick up where they left off last year with an interesting season and then Pete Peters the former NHLer and 1983 Vezina trophy winner joined us at 10:20. coming up at 11 o'clock is fantasy frenzy with former Rosh T-Bird Connor Alley and the Duke of Delburn, Brandon Douglas. Low Tide takes us at 12 to 2, the low down with Low Tide. Jason Greger wraps things up at 2 o'clock till 6 o'clock with the Jason Greger Show. Uh, tomorrow, we'll uh, try to fill in for our, our great co-host, uh, Grant Fear, who is unable to make it tomorrow, but uh, we will have tons of guests tomorrow. We'll uh, let you know those tomorrow morning. Uh, thanks, everybody, so much for listening. Keep it between the ditches, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock.